Welcome to Audio Club, a new music technology podcast from Yorkshire Sound Women Network. I'm Cara C and each month I'm going to be talking to some amazing women and gender minority audio professionals who will be telling us about their work and also sharing some creative inspiration, career advice, gear tips and much more. In this first episode, we're actually getting out of the studio as it's time to talk recording on the move. My guests are Hayley Saviste and Laura Clough, who will be telling us all about the different ways that they work with sound out and about on location. Hayley is a Manchester-based sound artist who uses field recordings, interviews, electronics and live instruments to create compositions, sound installations and multimedia pieces. And Laura, based in London, has worked as a sound assistant on a range of productions, including the TV dramas Peaky Blinders, Des and Humans, and she's also working on the forthcoming film Benediction. So grab your boom or your zoom or just listen in to join us at Audio Club. Welcome to our first episode of Audio Club. So first of all, I wonder if you can tell us how you work with sound and what might your average day or project be. Could you start, Hayley? Yes, so I'm a sound artist and composer based in Manchester. I work with field recordings, archival recordings, interviews and oral histories to create compositions that explore themes of community and explore our surrounding environments yeah it's just really embedded in my kind of surrounding environment in Manchester. And what is a field recording? Is it about standing in a field necessarily? Not necessarily. (laughs) Um, For me I think it's a way of understanding my surrounding environment and as a tool to kind of help focus in on the present moment I think. So it's kind of something that I'll have my field recorder in my bag when I'm walking around the city or anywhere, really. And if uh, interesting sound jumps out, I can get it out and record it. And how would that sort of manifest itself then if you're given a project or a commission or a day's work? How is there preparation involved before you start? And then what would how would it all unfold, really? So I guess it depends on the theme of the projects so I guess for my most recent commission it was really based on my local green space Rybank Fields which was the place I was spending my most time during lockdown so I was going there on daily walks anyway and recording lots and listening so it kind of stems out from my daily experiences um yeah lovely thank you it reminds me of that lovely David Toop quote where he talks about how music carries you away from the moment and you can sort of go off on this kind of pleasant escape journey or whatever you need whereas sound actually roots you more in the present and your I think almost gives you more of a sense of belonging to place doesn't it Mm -hmm. lovely and Laura at the moment I'm mostly working in tv and film um, in the sound department yeah the last job I did was television and the next job I'm doing is tv so it's more tv than film Yeah, my days are normally centered around booming. So getting the boom in the right spot to get the best sound for the dialogue um, from the actors and then radio miking as well. So putting the radio mics on the actors, again, getting the best quality of sound, eliminating as much clothes rustle as possible. 
yeah, just just trying to get good sound on set. That's that's my job. Great. So you're a boom operator. I could mm-hmm. go into the Sade song, but I won't. <laughs> and um, and what what is a boom for those who don't know? So we'd use the word boom for the whole sort of setup of the microphone on the end of the boom pole, and then you hold the boom pole um, so that the mic can be out of the shot, but still as close to the actor's mouth as possible to record the words. And do they have very specialist kind of mics for that work? Yeah. So the mic that I'm using right now for this podcast actually is one of the main mics that we use for indoor recording. So Sennheiser MKH50. Um, So we'll normally use the MKH50s inside with the certain team that I work with at the moment, we'll be using the 60s and the 70s outside. So um, inside we'll use hypercardioid mics normally. Um, And then outside we'll use more like shotgun mics, more directional to help eliminate more of the background noise. Yeah. So in that, so there we're talking about almost the catchment area, aren't we, of the microphone mm-hmm. and what it focuses on, almost like a camera focus, isn't it? You could see it like that. The hypercardioid is, is, is focused in, but obviously shotguns like really super focused in. That was, I, I knew, heard about that more to start with as it was used for on football pitches and stuff like that, isn't it, to record? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the shotgun mics, you know, the more directional, they're better for outdoors if you've got a lot of say like traffic or like other unwanted background noises that you want to eliminate so a shotgun mic is good at focusing in just on the dialogue that you want whereas when you're inside hopefully it should be a bit quieter and you can afford to get a microphone that records more of the space so that you can get a much nicer warmer sounding bit of dialogue yeah and I, I imagine it's quite physical work as well, is it? Holding a big pole for however long, still, very yeah. still. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is learning the the techniques to sort of energy <laughs> save as much as possible. Yeah, sometimes it can get pretty hard, especially with, so normally the outdoor mics, it's a sort of heavier rig in general, so it can get quite tiring. But yeah, you do, you build up the specific muscles and yes, it's normally all right by the end of it. And how did you learn to use all that equipment? Was it something you learned before you took on the work or is it something you tend to learn on the job? And and obviously they provide you with all the equipment, do they? Yeah, so within the team, there's the sound mixer and they're the one who uh, listens to all the microphones, does the mix um, on the day as everything's being recorded. Um, And they're the one that normally supplies all the kits. And yeah, in terms of learning, I didn't do any sort of, qualifications towards it I just learned it learned on the job started as a trainee had a very good second AS at the time um Matt Gill he sort of taught me everything I knew yeah and it just sort of went from there really oh yeah fantastic and it must be a bit of a balance between confidence and also the humility to say sorry I made a mistake (laughs) yeah definitely um yeah like knowing that it's always okay (laughs) to admit you don't know something and asking for help is definitely a it's an important thing to bear in mind I think especially when you're starting out like no no question is a silly question mm-hmm. and for you Hayley what sort of um let's talk kit what kind of sort of starter options would you recommend and what is your favorite like trusted field recorder that you take out with you I guess going right back to basics like you can record on your phone nowadays and get perfectly good recordings. So you can go from that level up, really. 
So at the moment I've got um, just a Zoom H5, um, which is like a portable field recorder, quite small and light. And it has interchangeable heads. So you've got like a stereo one that will capture a stereo field and then a shotgun extension as well, which is really good. For me, I like having stuff that's really portable that I can just carry in my rucksack. Because I studied at um, university and when we were there, we had access to like really expensive mics, like £2,000 a mic and um, all the expensive gear that goes with that. But since leaving university, I've had to kind of just build all of that up myself and all of my stuff is pretty affordable and gets the job done, like for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I I really like my. I've got an iPhone IXY, the mm. um, Rode mics, which are, are quite nice. They're quite nice and um, are quite affordable. Would you recommend getting secondhand mics, or do you think you need to get them new? Oh, definitely secondhand mics, because I mean, mics can last for so long. Like you don't need to get everything shiny and new. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Um, I wonder if you could both answer this question. So maybe Haley, if you want to go first. <laughs> Um, who else do you admire from your field and why? Like, do you have any role models when you were starting out or now? I think for me, there's a group of composers that kind of really focus on sound walking and listening. Because I studied electroacoustic composition and a lot of that was focused on like really abstract compositions, taking like found sounds and nothing really being fully related to place or specific themes. And then coming across composers that, so there's Bruna Martin, who she studied her PhD at the University of Manchester as well. And one of her compositions, when I first heard it, that included kind of interviews with people around kind of sound walking and space. And that just really kind of kicks them off in me where, yeah, I could just create pieces that are related to space. Um, Yeah. And other composers such as um, Hildegard Westerkamp, who she really pioneered the kind of sound walking and like focus on listening. Uh, Yeah. Fantastic. And Laura, for you? Yeah, well, I think because also I've done a lot of like sound art focusing on um, space and field recordings in, in that sort of regard. I think Chris Watson as well, you know, he's really good at capturing the the essence of an environment um, with his field recordings. So yeah, I really enjoy listening to some of his stuff. And then in terms of TV and film, I'd just say sort of the people that I work with the most. I work with like quite a few different teams but especially when you start as a trainee you know the people above you in the team that your teachers and they're the people that really yeah show you how to do everything in the job so um Matt Gill and Grant Bridgman were the two people above me on the job that I just worked on and then Karis Ellis was our trainee so hopefully I taught her a little bit as well um and yeah just yeah loads of other people Sarah Howe Jen Anor yeah just lots lots of people that um I work with on a day-to-day basis, which is nice. Mm, Lovely. And um, I wonder if you could both talk a bit about um, whether there's any barriers you feel for women and people from more diverse backgrounds getting into your particular worlds of recording sound and working with sound. 
Yeah, well, for me, there's been a big push on employing, especially in the lower levels, so like trainees, it's been a big push on getting a more diverse crew, which I think is great. Um, there's a lot of demand now for BAME and female sound trainees, um, which is great because I think, you know, you need to sort of start from the bottom and get a more diverse crew in as trainees, you know, to learn and then that will gradually filter through and then, you know, those people will develop and, you know, get through the ranks and then hopefully that will inspire more people, a more diverse crew to start working as well. Um, so, yeah, it's actually looking looking quite good at the moment. When I started out, there weren't many female people who worked in the sound department, but um, especially more recently, it's become a lot, a lot more diverse, which is good. Cool. Hayley? Yeah, and for me, I think it it has been very noticeable kind of being in these kind of sound art world where it does still feel very kind of white male dominated. Um, And I think along with that, there's like this perceived thought that like gear is everything. And I think that can often act as a barrier to get into it because you think you need all like the newest flashiest gear when really you can just do it on a really like DIY basis and and I think there has been a push towards that recently with kind of people making their own mics and sharing tips and stuff within a community. Cool and let's get a bit deeper into how you work with sound. So Hayley can I ask you how do you turn your recordings into finished works of art? What What's what's that process? How are they different? How is that different from working with more conventional musical material? I think there's two ways that I work with um, field recordings. On one level, there's a kind of more abstract sense where I'll be looking for interesting kind of textures and little sounds and sounds around the house, which I can use and then transform and kind of create really otherworldly textures and sounds through like sound design and then my practice more recently has been using field recordings more in their natural state to really give a sense of space in my compositions and like real physical space and a lot of those are based on the interviews that I do at the start. For my recent work on Rybank Fields I interviewed activists who were trying to save the space and local people that engaged with the space so those become the basis of the work and then from there based on what they're talking about I'll go and record the sounds that they're talking about and create context with the field recordings and then from there I'll improvise along with my instruments and my synths and stuff it's all really based yeah directly on the conversations and the field recordings and it's built up from there And I guess that's different from musical material if you're working on your own or from your own initiative, because actually you're responding, aren't you? You're responding Mm -hmm. and supporting other people's narrative. Yeah, definitely. Um, And there must be some ethics to consider within that as well, um, especially if you're working with stories and sounds from around the world. So how do you make sure that you're representing people and you feel comfortable and they're okay with that, you being a kind of conduit in a way? Yeah, I guess just fully so going into the projects without any kind of preconceived ideas of what it's going to be about or what it's going to sound like and completely based in the narrative and the structure of the work on my conversations with people and again just doing it from 
the ground up in that way where everything is based directly on those conversations and the kind of musical elements that I'm adding through kind of field recording and sound design and music is more word painting for what they're saying rather than trying to make my compositional voice the foreground it's kind of more in the background kind of supporting the kind of words if that makes sense yeah I love that word painting that's that's mm -hmm. really nice it's really like, really visual as well yeah. You're listening to an excerpt from Edgeland, a piece by Haley that weaves together recorded conversations, composed music and field recordings from urban wildlife havens in Manchester. It was commissioned by Huddersfield Contemporary Music Festival in 2020. children to have the opportunity to just play in these wild spaces it's it's invaluable we just don't have many of these spaces left but if you're a young child growing up in a city that has no real engagement with nature on a day-to-day -day basis how is that child then expected to care for its environment how is that child then going to learn about uh, nature they're really uh, inspiring spaces for a lot of people, aren't they? And I know, I guess like 90% of people, or maybe more, might pass these places on the tram and think, oh, there's just scrapyards there, and the sooner we build on it, the better. But then you'll have this small group of people that are so inspired by it. I think going back again to like that lawlessness or memories of childhood, it's like we kindled something in them to want to revisit and just spend time somewhere that you're not expected to spend time in. I always find it makes me feel like a child again because the grass was really tall, when obviously when you're little, and because it just grows here. I feel like I'm like 10 again or two again or something because it's just so, it's just so tall. People talk about the fields as if it's a kind of um, a place that is cut off from from everyday life is cut off from the real world, even though it's only, you know, a couple of metres, you know, it's boundaries are only a couple of metres back into the main city roads. But for people, that um, additional sort of wildness of the space enables them a different kind of landscape in which to escape, which isn't the, you know, the kind of glass and steel skyscrapers of the city. The, the impacts on people's mental well-being, mental health, uh, are really significant. I'm wondering for you, Laura, um, in terms of how much you can prepare for each job and how much it is about just thinking on your feet, responding to the situation, troubleshooting. Yeah, so we get the scripts a few weeks before the job. So you'll read through that and sort of get a general idea of what microphones we'll want to use, if there are any scenes that are, you know, say if there's a an underwater scene or, you know, a scene where there's a rain machine. So you need to think, okay, so I'll need to get some waterproof equipment for all of that sort of stuff. And then after that, you get the schedule. So that will tell you what days you're shooting each scene, 
Um, and so that's when you can plan like, okay, so I need this mic for this day. I'll need like, yeah, this extra kit for this day. So on the job that I just did, we did a few scenes where we needed some like lectern mics. So, you know, the sort of microphones that you have in say like a courtroom, um, or in like a lecture hall. So we supplied those mics ourselves and we gave them to the props department so that instead of just using a prop lectern microphone, we could use a real lectern microphone and then get, you know, that sound as well. So yeah, that's the sort of stuff that we'll do in our prep. Then we'll normally have a prep day where we'll, you know, the sound team will meet up or sometimes it's just the mixer. They'll go through all the kit, make sure everything's working. And then, yeah, that's it really. We'll just go into the shoot. And then normally at breakfast on the day, we'll get given, it's called sides. And that's got the front sheet and that tells you what scenes you're going to be filming. Um, and then the dialogue, like the script for those scenes. So, you know, normally if you're like five weeks into a job, you're really tired you might not be able to remember what you're shooting that day. So it'll be at breakfast when you're reading the sides um, that you sort of mentally prepare yourself for that day. Yeah, and I bet you really have to bond as a team because it must become a sort of non-verbal <laughs> form of communication between you and like a dance or movie. <laughs> Obviously, you're keeping out the way of everyone as well, aren't you, in a sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um Say if it's a two camera shoot, we will often have two boom operators. So, yeah, not only do we have to make sure we're not in the camera's shot, we need to make sure we're not bumping into the other boom op, not bumping into the camera operators, you know, all the other crew that are crammed behind the camera. Um, Yeah. And then also, especially with coronavirus happening, everyone has to wear face masks on set all the time now. So normally, if you had wanted to pass a message to someone and be subtle about it, you could sort of mouth to them lip read Mm -hmm. um but now the team that I just worked with on our last job took to um learning a bit of sign language and doing sign language across the room to each other um so then you know we didn't have to pull our masks down to mouth like do you want a tea or coffee biscuit we'll just we learn learn the words for those things great yeah exactly and it's finding those words to make the team work as efficiently and smoothly as possible I imagine um Mm -hmm. And would you say you've learned any tips or secrets to getting the best sound recordings on set? I think one of the most important things is making friends with other departments. Everyone really needs to work together to get the final product, even though everyone's doing their own jobs. Everyone ultimately has the same goal. So if you're friends with the costume department, they'll you know help you out. They'll go out of their way to make sure that the lav microphone that is hidden on the actor is as Russell free as possible. Um, If you're friends with the lighting department, they might be able to help you out with some lights. If you've got a boom shadow, they might change some lighting for you or some of the lights they'll put, they're called gels, which is sort of like very thin colored plastic that they can put over the lights that changes the color of the light. Sometimes if you're outside, the wind will flap on these gels and it will sound super rattly really loud and annoying for them they don't care because the light still looks how it looks but you know if you're friends with them and if you ask them nicely um they will try and sort that out for you so yeah a lot of it is you know not just about 
the sound and the kit. It's about being friends with the rest of the crew and, you know, knowing what to say to get them on your side. Yeah, yeah. I remember engineering school myself, so realizing and, and, and being told that, you know, only a part of your skill set is the technology. So much of it is actually about the people, isn't it? It's about people yeah. needing to get a job done. Everyone wants to get the job done as well and smoothly as possible. Yeah, 100%. And as much as it pains me to say that, um, you know, there's four people probably on set that care about how it sounds everyone else cares about how it looks so sometimes you can feel like you're you know fighting a bit of a losing battle but um you know if you go about it the best way then um yeah you can you can still do a a great job that's great thank you so let's have a look at the path that's got you to where you are now and see if there's any wisdoms you might be able to share. So I'll start with you, Laura. Um, would you say for especially people outside London, how can they find their way, those first steps into the industry really? Yeah, so for me, I did a music degree um, at uni simply because I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> I felt a sort of pressure to go to uni, but then my parents just said, do what you enjoy. And so I thought, well, I enjoy music. I enjoy my music lessons. So um, yeah, I did a music degree at Goldsmiths and it was a very broad degree. We did modules in loads of different things. And I think that was really good for sort of broadening my mind in terms of how you can get a career in music or in sound in general you know that was the first time I discovered sonic art we did some modules in sonic art we did modules in field recording um and that really you know piqued my interest and I never even realized that that was a thing so yeah after I finished that I started a master's in sonic arts at the University of Sheffield and this was at the point where I was searching for a career in sound or maybe music and I thought, what was the part of working in music or sound that I enjoyed the most? And for me, it was the recording part. But also, I didn't like sitting in a recording studio all day. I didn't want to be inside. I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be, you know, going to new places, using my body for my work. Um, And so then that led me to sound for TV and film. You know, you get to go around to new places, um, see new environments working with microphones all day um so yeah that's how I sort of led myself to tv and film but before tv and film I was doing a lot of sound art yeah I would like to go back to it I think at the moment I'm just so swamped with this work that my art my music has sort of taken a bit of a backseat but I'm very conscious now of you know wanting to get back into all of this stuff um, as Haley was saying, I've got like my own handheld mics. I've got a little Zoom. I think I've got a Zoom H6. And um, it is, you know, really fun to just have it in your back pocket and um, recording sounds like whenever you hear something interesting. So, yeah, it's it's always back in the back of my mind of wanting to get back into that sort of side of um, sound. Yeah. And I think that any work involving it to the degree that you are in terms of that awareness you have to have or the bat ears that we have to have that all helps to tune it does it so I'm sure I hope you do manage to carve out that creative time and when you do I'm sure everything that you're doing will help to hone those visions as well 
Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the key skills that I have in working in TV and film that translates well back into my music is just the the experience of listening through a microphone rather than listening with your ears. Like I love sometimes to just go on walks, like on a sound walk and just have my headphones on and just carry the microphone so that you're listening through the microphone rather than through your own ears. I feel like the human brain filters out so much sound that it thinks we don't want to hear. Whereas when you listen through a microphone, you know, you're hearing everything completely unfiltered. Um, And I think it's a really, you know, it sort of helps you listen in a different kind of way. Wow, I've never thought of doing that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah. Try it. Yeah, I will do. That sounds great. Can I make a point on similar to that one, Laura? Please Mm. do. I've got these like, um, so it's like a binaural headset, Sennheiser Ambio, and you plug it into your phone. So I like to walk around with those on and listen and record in real time as well. And so like whilst you're listening, it's amplifying Mm. those sounds. And also you get the spatial element of it as well because it's recording in binaural. I think they were maybe £50. Like Wow. And it's really nice quality as well. Here's a snippet from Haley's piece, I Don't Miss, which was commissioned by Wattstick Theatre as a response to people's experiences during lockdown and recorded in binaural sound. I don't miss the traffic. Or pollution. The crowding on tube trains. What I miss least... I don't miss tiring bus Is my morning commutes to, to work. work. Or you know, planning the routes the night before to prevent anxiety. I don't miss, I don't miss interviews and stresses and the like pressure, pressure of work for routine and All the sort of pressure that comes deadlines, with normal decision making business life. I don't miss the sense that we need to always be productive and progressing. Now being in lockdown, that kind of go, go, go mentality has kind of been taken away a bit. Quite like the fact that I've stopped for a little bit and it's okay to not be doing so much right now. I'm quite enjoying, in moments of intensity, the kind of hyper-locality of being just in my community for such an extended period of time. So, Hayley, how would you say that someone um, wanting to get there sound art field recording based work out there what kind of path would you recommend or do you know of I mean the path that I took was similar to Laura's I studied music as an undergrad and I went in playing the clarinet and thinking I don't even like I did not think of myself as like a composer at all or I hadn't even heard of like this this whole sound art world and yeah, again, I was introduced through one of the modules, um, electroacoustic composition, where they gave us like a folder of just kind of random recordings from around the house and field recordings and we just like make something with it. And I found that really freeing and just more creative. Than, and I felt like I didn't have to worry about like harmony or scales or anything like that. I just kind of felt more like I could just experiment. And then my path after that was... I did a master's in the same thing, did it part-time so I could build up my experience more. And I think during that time, 
doing my master's I was thinking I was working three part-time jobs doing the part-time master's and applying for all these things so I was really really busy but at that point I was just going for everything I was applying for loads of residencies and commissions didn't get half of them but I think yeah the big thing is to just keep an eye out on like the arts council website uh, opportunities and just go for everything until you get some stuff a big one for me in Manchester was Brighter Sound. I think I'd done about mm-hmm. four or five like residencies with them and that really kind of helped outside of my formal education to just kind of work with people and collaborate and just experiment in a more um, like in a really supportive environment. Yeah. Yeah, great. And also therefore you also you can see communities are built in that way as well. Mm-hmm. So if you were to think about those moments where you go this is why I'm doing this because there are challenges you know maybe if you're up for opening opening up that about the challenges but also yeah what are those moments that you think yes this is why I'm doing this I think as my practice recently has been focused more on working with people in the community and yeah reaching outside of this kind of academic bubble um I think they're the moments that I've really kind of felt connected to this kind of practice and just working with people getting their feedback that sense of community um and not feeling that yeah that I'm just kind of working in my own little artistic bubble it's when I've kind of reached out outside of that that I've got most kind of I can't think of the word satisfaction (laughs) that's the one (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and could you pinpoint any challenges within your path I think at the start I was really caught up with everything that I didn't know because I don't have like a full technical background on producing or like microphone place like I learned most things through just experimenting so I think at the start I really struggled with I guess comparing myself to other people and thinking I didn't know as much and then I think it came through kind of meeting people that were supportive and that were people weren't bothered what questions you asked them and everyone's helping each other figure out what they're doing and Laura what, what about for you those magic moments that you go yes this is why I'm doing this and then those <laughs> moments where you're like yeah you have there are challenges yeah I think the locations for me you get to go to so many different places you know and not just like nice places necessarily you know I've done my fair share of like booming tiny scenes in like a tiny little flat in central London and you know it's all a bit dingy um but similarly you know we get access to places where you know the general public aren't allowed um you know like the Tower of London yeah just a lot of um stately homes a lot of nice places and I think as well just the um the sense of community and the sense of like working in a team and not just within the sound team you know within the whole crew it's such a social job which I really like and that was something that I was very conscious of when I was thinking of finding a job in sound I think it's quite easy to just think of oh a a career in sound might just be me sitting in a studio on my own all day or you know even like as a composer it's quite easy to just end up working on your own for quite a while so I really enjoyed that aspect of work and then I think the main challenge that I definitely had at the start was this trouble of getting work because you don't get employed 
necessarily by the production company. It's the sound mixer who is like the boss of the sound team. They're the one who finds their team. And the odd job here and there gets posted on like social media or on websites. But the main way to get work is just through word of mouth. So it's always just getting that first job that's the hardest part. Um, And especially at the very start when you're a trainee, not every team needs a trainee, not every job requires a trainee. So, you know, you could be working with a team on one job, like thinking that you've done the best job you can. And the mixer will be like, you know, you've done a great job, but unfortunately the next job, we don't need a trainee. So we're not going to be able to employ you. And so then, you know, you sort of feel like you're back at square one, like, oh, I need to find some other work. Yeah. And I think, you know, just also starting out when money is more of a pressing issue, it can be a bit stressful, but um, yeah, it's just plugging away at it. And it really is a case of, you know, who, you know, as soon as you get a few jobs, make a few contacts, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, thank you. And um, understand that, Haley, you're working on the new initiative called Sound of the Year Awards, which I think the deadline mm. has just closed, doesn't it? And then they'll be announcing, I'm guessing, soonish. So I wondered if I could ask you both what your favourite sound might be. Just whatever comes to mind. It doesn't <laughs> have to. I won't. We won't hold you to it. But just to think, what's favourite sounds? <laughs> um, for me, well, I did a I did an electroacoustic piece um, a while ago where. Um, I was in South Africa and I was working at a lion sanctuary. So a lion cubs squeak is very cute, (laughs) very, very cute. Um, But then also I love squeaky doors. I really, really like creaky doors um, at the, is it called the National Library that's in Euston? They're one of those doors. It sort of creaked in like a perfect arpeggio and I've got quite a few recordings of it because it just sounded so musical when I heard it and I was like oh, I need to, I need to record that so awesome. <laughs> I've got quite a few yeah got a few like 20 minute recordings of me just trying to get a really good recording of this really musical sounding creaky door excellent you have to donate that to the British Library they have their <laughs> archive of six million recordings don't they and um, you'll have to definitely donate that sound <laughs> yes yes I will I will <laughs> I've recently enjoyed the sounds of because this winter seems to be like it's gone on for ages and it's been really cold but maybe the last this last month quite a few of the lakes have like frozen over and just the sound of yeah, like the frozen lakes and like putting hydrophones in and messing with it and smashing the ice and there's something about as well, like dropping the ice cube into like some water and it cracks. Like I just love that sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you have a hydrophone made by Jez Riley French? I know he makes a lot of them, doesn't it? Yeah. So basically means you can put them underwater, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got one of those yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Trusty Jez. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great. Yeah. I guess he's a good one to talk about in terms of accessible and quite affordable um, creative sound equipment. Because he's got his yeah, definitely. contact yeah. hydrophones, the coil pickups as well, where you can um, record electrical signals. Those rumbling noises are an unusual non-stop lift called Paternoster, recorded by Laura for a 2017 piece of the same name. She used contact mics built by Jez Riley French and a Zoom H6 recorder to capture the sounds. 
You heard, you heard of geo mics as well? Oh yeah, I've seen those. Haven't no, used I haven't. One, yeah, so it's very, it's almost, it's like a contact mic, but not quite, is it? It's different. Mm-hmm. It picks up like the, oh, I don't even know how it works. It's like really, really low. It's meant to be like the sound of like the world turning or something. I've seen that written. That frequency Whoa. range, which is really low. <laughs> it's, still, it's below our capacity mm-hmm. of hearing then, isn't it? So it's sort mm-hmm. of, yeah, right down there in the low hertz <laughs> frequency range. Brilliant. Wicked. Great. Well, thank you. And if people wanted to find out more about your work, do you have any web presence or social media platforms they can follow you on? Uh, yeah, I have my website, lauraclouffsound.wordpress.com. And that's got links to, well, my, my CV. So <laughs> the TV and film work that I do. And then it's got links to some of the sound art projects that I've done, some of the workshops that I've done recently as well. So yeah, that's a good place to learn more about the stuff that I do. Yeah, my website is www.hayleysavisti.co.uk. And again, that links to all my different projects and my social media pages. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Audio Club is a podcast from Yorkshire Sound Women Network presented by me, Cara C, and edited by Joe Kennedy. The theme music is by Iwan Obinyan and it was produced by Abby Bliss. This podcast is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. To find out more about Yorkshire Sound Women Network, you can visit yorkshiresoundwomen.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>